the Recovery Executive Podcast with your host, Nick Jaworski. We bring you the business of recovery because those struggling with addiction need you to be here tomorrow as well as today. Thank you for joining me here on the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, CEO of Circle Social Inc., a strategic marketing and growth consulting firm for behavioral health and addiction treatment. Today, we're joined by Kelly Farrell. She's the CEO of Design Room, and we're speaking about a topic that's very dear to my heart, branding. But before we jump into that, I want to hear a word from our sponsors, Soberlink. Professionals like those that listen to the Recovery Executive Podcast know that technology-assisted care is improving all aspects of healthcare. Addiction treatment is no different. Soberlink is an accountability tool that's helped thousands of people in early recovery. If you haven't heard of Soberlink, it's a discrete alcohol monitoring system with real-time results and reports. You can improve your client's outcomes with the latest technology recommended by four out of five treatment providers. For a limited time and for Recovery Executive Podcast listeners, you can get a free Soberlink device by visiting www.soberlink.com free. Soberlink is a fantastic tool. I've actually seen patients request it from facilities. So it's used as an accountability tool to help people maintain sobriety. And the patients themselves actually find it so valuable that they're requesting it from facilities. So I highly recommend that you take advantage of that free offer um, for our listeners here. So again, we're talking about branding with Kelly Farrell. Branding is probably one of the most important assets to your business and one of the least understood aspects of marketing and business growth by probably what I would say is a majority of executives and CEOs in the addiction treatment space. When we come into a facility, we often look at how their brand is regarded, how their reputation, brand is simply reputation, is regarded in the area by clinical referral partners, by other treatment centers and providers. Brand basically drives your business at the end of the day. A lot of facilities will call us and say, well, I want inquiries, I want calls, I want admissions. You're not gonna get any of that unless you have brand. From the beginning, Circle Social ran only branded campaigns, which is why our campaigns tend to convert at four times the rate of generic call buys, of unbranded web content. Basically, any campaign running out there that does not have a brand behind it is not gonna be nearly as successful. And this is something that's really not well understood in the industry. But I can even speak from personal experience. We literally had to shut off all of our paid marketing this entire summer because we had so many calls coming in and so many new clients wanting to sign on. We literally could not handle it at the size of the team that we had at the time. So I had to scale up the team. I had to build some additional infrastructure and systems before we could turn our paid marketing back on this fall. And that's the power of brand. That's the power of reputation. You literally don't even have to spend money and you can grow your business. So Kelly really has some insights for us that I encourage you all to listen to. If this is something that you're thinking, oh, well, you know what? Maybe this isn't quite the episode for me. I would say that you're wrong and that this is probably one of the most important episodes for you to listen to. So with that, let's jump in and listen to all the sage advice that Kelly has for us. Hey, Kelly, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what your organization does? 
Hi, Nick. I really, really am excited to be here today. Um, I'm the, my name's Kelly Farrell, and I'm the founder of Design Room out of Cleveland. And we are a branding firm. We build healthy brands for organizations who help people. And uh, I've been in the business for 25 plus years. Got this. Uh, got started my business because my uh, a little bit about myself is my dad was a nut and bolt salesman, and he. Uh, I worked for an advertising agency in Cleveland, and you know when you're a graphic designer, you don't you don't really make much money. So he said, uh, all my buddies need nut and bolt brochures. So. That's what I did. I went out and sold a bunch of nut and bolt brochures, and you know the rest is history. Um, been doing communication and uh, uh, general advertising first part of my career, and second part of my career, I've been focusing on branding for social service organizations in the behavioral health space. So let's jump into that part of it right away. You know, talking about branding, for a lot of people, it's pretty amorphous and not quite clear what that is or how it applies to the organization per se. And you mentioned, for example, doing brochures for nuts and bolts um, companies. And we were having a conversation before we jumped on, but the brochure is not going to sell the business, right? It's not the brochure that drives phone calls necessarily there there's a brand and a reputation behind it so can you just kind of explain for us a little bit about how you approach branding and, and what do you think it means for you as well as how it benefits an organization yep so in i'm gonna do a little backstory to get there so in 2009 when the economy tanked our firm was really doing well we were a generalist we focused on manufacturing companies primarily and healthcare in cleveland um, uh, right around or within the vicinity, I had a family I was raising. I wanted to be, I wanted to be part of that their family, so I did not go five hours away from my home, and we had a very good business. When the economy tanked, though, you had to make a decision. Um, we were financially pretty solid, so I had, I we could pivot um, pretty well, but we had to be really intentional. So I had to make a decision. Either we were going to try and compete with the, the big agencies or we were going to niche and focus. We looked at what we were really good at and what we could actually hang our hat on and carve a niche in, and it was branding, rebranding, and positioning and creating campaigns around that to support um, the effort that we just did. So if you talk about branding, um, when I talk about it, it's looking at your inside culture and matching it to your outside perception. So that, I know it sounds easy, but it's really sort of, it takes some work and rigor, and not everybody is up for the branding process. So we have a four-step process that we go through um, to understand the essence of your brand. That is your inside culture. What do you, who are you? What do you stand for? What makes you different? And how are we going to position you in the market to get to your audience? Can I ask why you think that's important? Because we, we go into a lot of facilities, right? And that's kind of uh, something that we focus on is a lot of people will call us for the admissions or the marketing piece, but we find a huge disconnect between what marketing and messaging is and then what actually exists in the facility in terms of the service, the clinical care, the modalities, et cetera. So why is it so important to have alignment and integrity between the service internally and then what's promoted externally? Uh, 
So the power in branding, the power in focus um, is, you know, the, the impact of having a clear and compelling message, right? So you have to, you know, you have to have certain elements to figure out what your differentiator is. And I believe, I've been in the addiction treatment space for about four or five years. When I walk into treat centers, I can feel um, the energy of the organization. And I, and, but when I go to conferences and I look at externally how they're representing themselves, everyone says the same thing. I've been saying it for four years. They don't, you know, it's so important to pull out what makes you different or better externally, and it matters um, to the talent you attract, to the um, services that you offer, and the quality of care that you give your um, your clients. Maybe also talk about your own journey of kind of niching down a bit, you know, so you become really expert in a particular area, which allows you to serve clients better. And this is something we see, whether it's in addiction treatment or marketing or manufacturing, but you know, maybe speak to your own journey about how that focus helped you. Yep. So in 2009, when we focused on branding, rebranding and positioning, um, uh, and then the launch campaign. So that goes along with, you can't just rebrand you have to tell people you're rebranding and you have to have a launch package after after that effort. Um, so in 2009, when we decided, it took us a couple years to get a process that was, um, we could we could actually rep, you know, duplicate whenever, wherever we went. We, we, are, we have an assessment process. A lot of agencies have assessment. Um, assessment allows us to, um, uh, it allows us to drill down, really dig deep inside of your organization. That means we are talking to leaders, talking to clinicians. We, we've talked to patients. We've talked to loved ones of patients before. We've looked at the competition. Um, we've looked at the strategic plan based on, you know, where, they, where the organization needs to go. So if you actually take the time to, to look at all that data and information, then you look at the website, you look at all the analytics, where are people going, look at the industry trends, you put all of that information together, and what's going to happen is um, a pattern is going to emerge as to what is why people are really coming to your organization. So, you know, there's probably three or four things that really stick out about your organization, and it's going to be different for everyone. Um, you don't have the same geography. You don't have the same clinical director. You don't have the same medical director. You don't have the same actual CEO. My belief is, and I preach it, is that everyone has, every organization in addiction treatment has a, a unique position. It's just taking the time to peel that back and do that work and identify what that is. Align that with core values and the mission and the vision of your organization. Get leadership, get leadership to buy into that. And it's so powerful aligned with SEO, aligned with PPC. If you, if you do all that front work, upfront work, it allows um, your outbound effort to be so much more succinct. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I'm even speaking to our own journey. You know, when I first started Circle Social, 
we were in a, a variety of verticals, right? We were doing education, we were doing home care, there was addiction treatment, right? And it was very hard to grow the company because we lacked focus and every industry is different. Every vertical is different. You know, I said, what are we passionate about? What are we good at? I said, well, this addiction treatment piece is really important to me. It's important to us. We're good at it. Let's focus. And what that allowed us to do was become experts at it. Right. I mean, we're one of the best that's out there now at this point. And we could only do that by being laser focused on it. And the same goes for an addiction treatment center in terms of their clinical care, whether you are really good at trauma focused therapy, right? Or if you are really good at offering 12 step um, facilitation, or maybe it's working with first responders, you know, whatever it is, that expertise builds on itself because you become specialized. And then promoting it out to the world, I think is much, much easier because you're really good at it. You're not just it's not words on a page, right? You're not just saying it. Like you said, you don't rebrand just to say stuff because you think that trauma is what people want in the marketplace. You rebrand around trauma because that's where your core expertise lies. Would you agree? I agree to a point. I'm going to challenge you on that a little bit, right? Because everybody does trauma now. You actually run organizations with trauma-informed clinical best practices, I see it on the behavioral health side for sure. Um, so I'm going to challenge you a little bit on that. I want to go up a bit to look at vision, mission, and values of the organization and then the actual key leadership. A big, huge myth in the industry is put your leadership on there, tell people who your medical director is, who your clinical director is, and why they're there. And understand what that, that builds inside your culture and then attach it to the, the services. If we lead with the products and services, we sound the same as everybody else. How does your geography, your leader, your clinical team affect that care? What makes it different about that care to that audience that they're trying to attract? Because you don't need to attract everybody. Who exactly are you going after and why? And what are you going to do different than every other treatment center out there? Find that out, and it is gold. Then you attach all of your marketing efforts. Your actual outreach person is saying the same thing. Your digital marketing campaign is doing the same thing. Any kind of traditional marketing is doing the same thing. And, and if everyone is in alignment, it's like a united front. Yeah, a lot of great stuff there. I think a couple things I want to comment on. That alignment is huge, and what it does from a marketing perspective is it compounds, right? So when my business development is saying the same thing as my PPC campaigns, this is saying the same thing as my billboards and my Facebook outreach, then it all presents a unified message that people start to understand, they start to believe in, right? And they trust you based on it because everyone's on the same page and you become known for that piece. So, you know, you're talking about that specialization that's key to be able to deliver on with whatever differentiator it is, you know? So you're talking about having trauma, for example, be very generic now. You know, dual diagnosis would be another one that was a differentiator for a while, and then now it's just really, really common. I, I think a problem a lot of facilities have is they will tell us all the time, and I'm sure you hear this constantly, is, well, our staff makes a difference. That's great, they, they probably do. And like you said, you can feel that when you're in the facility, but it's very, very hard to get other people to understand that with any kind of outbound strategy. You know, if they come to your center, sure, that's great, but how many people are gonna come to your center before they actually, you know, 
admit to the program, I think is a challenge. Um, so I think all those pieces are really important. And then the last thing I would comment on is like you talk about the staff page. This is something that we constantly talk to um, facilities about. But even from an SEO perspective, Google looks for that, right? When you are a healthcare provider, they want to see you're legitimate. They want to see that you're not a lead aggregator. Um, so they look for a staff page with credentialed staff on it, and that will actually affect your SEO ranking. So to your point, all of it comes together to really create a cohesive vision or message that's going out there. When I first started looking at this industry, because I went from, you know, like community mental health organizations taking care of the poorest of the poor and the sickest of the sick, right? going from them who are amazing mission-driven leaders and if they have an entrepreneurial spirit um, they can run super powerful organizations and take care of a lot of people then I go to the addiction treatment side and the the images of facilities on the website are not accurate like it's like I it was so confusing at the beginning I'm like if I click on this image okay, this isn't the actual site, but then if I drill down, then I'll get part of the site of the facility. Images in this industry are critical to what you stand for and how to build your brand, whether it's faces, whether it's maybe clients or different interactions, it's alum, whatever it is, they are going to help build your brand or make it generic. I don't think it, there's no middle road there. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we just had a provider that we're rebuilding the website for and they're like, well, can you put a picture of the beach on, on the front page? And we said, well, no, because you're not on a beach and that doesn't make sense. And you look like everyone else, you know, and then on top of that, one of your primary differentiators is that you have an incredibly powerful alumni community around you. They love you. They love the staff. You know, so what you need to do is you need to showcase your staff. You need to showcase your facility because that's what makes you different, not the beach, right? Correct. If you're not on the beach, don't show the beach unless you use the beach for a specific therapy and then link that image to that bit of content because that will be true. You know, I can rant about things that I think can be tweaked and fixed, but it all really goes together. You know, having uh, uh, all your accreditation, I mean, building a brand is about who you are exactly <laughs> because we want to trust and kind of love the people that we are deciding to put our, you know, put our faith in to take care of our loved one. So if we can't get that information and it's, primarily on the web typically, um, or maybe a brochure, why would they choose you unless it's just pure desperation, you know, and they can't figure out how to make a sound decision, I guess. That's a really good point, though. I mean, I, honestly, that's what we see with a lot of facilities is that they relied on that desperation, unfortunately, right? They didn't have a good sales process. Yeah. They had no brand. They didn't know how to market but they knew that if they could just get in front of enough desperate people that they could fill the 10 beds at their facility, right? I mean, that, that, was, that was a game for so long, unfortunately, and it doesn't work. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna I, I, I got called by um, one, of the, one of the behavioral health magazines about um, a, you know, a branding issue 
that happened with a center that um, someone was arrested, right? One of the key staff. But we we never we don't focus on the centers that are really <laughs> they're living and breathing their mission, vision, and values, and they are on brand. We don't celebrate them. We often talk about all the bad hat or the bad you know the bad actors out there. But there are a lot of centers that get this and that do this hard work. They peel the onion back. They figure out what is their secret sauce, what is makes them different, and they, you know, they spend the money to do to position properly. And and but we don't talk about it that much. And you know how, it, it, if you do this work, it allows you to say yes to things that are aligned with who you are and what you stand for, and it allows you to also say no to things quicker that are not aligned with who you are and what your organization stands for. I mean, so from an operational standpoint, um, for our leaders that get it, it's so much easier for them to, to choose. And, and right, we have a census issue right now, and we have a talent issue. We can't attract the right talent. If you know your mission, vision, values, and what you stand for, and um, our new generation of workforce, they want to align with shared values. If you're clear on that, you really believe in the values of the organization, you're going to want to work there. So there's so much gold that goes in with the work to build a really succinct, differentiated brand um, with a with a meaningful inside culture, and then match it on your outside perception. Like there's so much gold to that, uh, but it is hard to explain <laughs> in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is, right? And I'm sure you get a lot of pushback or objections from facility providers saying, well, this brand is fluffy or it doesn't do anything for us. I mean, what what objections do you hear and what's your answer to them? Um, say that again. I, I apologize. I'm not understanding that question. What objections do you hear from potential providers that might choose to work with you around branding, you know, saying that maybe it's not something that's important or should be prioritized or worth spending money on, you know, they'll have these objections. What's your response to that? If I'm understanding correctly, the objections of to pull the trigger or not on a rebranding effort, the objectives might come come down to time and money and not understanding the real value. Hardest thing for me to do is sell or communicate or have, um, People understand the value of this work because it's really hard. I just got that question asked to me yesterday. I was we were pitching in California, and it was um, give me some ROI examples. That was my last question. So we believe that in an, every in our in organizations, everything is linked to your brand. How you how you intake, how you deal, how you treat and work with alum, how you how you onboard new staff. We believe that leadership, you know, your leadership team is linked to brand and living mission, vision, values. And we believe everything operationally goes with, it all goes together. So it's really hard to say that we increased your census or your top line revenue because we rebranded you. If we get the leader to buy in and understand the power of working with a brand and a, and putting a stake in the ground with a secure position, that means they have to say no to stuff that they used to say yes to. And it's hard, especially when you're trying to stay afloat or 
you know, you're in business and you're trying to really make it rain, right? But once you put your stake in the ground and you really work it and you believe it, um, it, it we have we have historic case studies of clients that it's worked for. But it takes time. It's not for everybody. So the biggest thing is if they're in a hurry um, and if they want to get something done fast, sometimes that is not a fit fit for us because they don't understand the value. I think the comment I would make and the way I always try to explain it is brand is simply your reputation, right? Brand's not necessarily, we make it sound difficult in marketing speak, but it's who you are and what you're known for and how much you're trusted to deliver on the promises in your messaging. So I often give the example of something simple like Starbucks, right? I mean, you've got a coffee shop. There's millions of coffee shops all over the place. Um, I can look at Starbucks marketing. I know what they do, right? I know how they market. I know how they run their centers. I know how they train their staff. Like all of that stuff is very visible, but I can't copy that and build a Starbucks. It just doesn't work that way. Starbucks has built a reputation for a certain level of quality and speed and service, and they deliver on that consistently. And so their branded messaging is just simply an amplification of who they are rather than a way to get feet into the store. And I think it's that mindset switch that allows massive growth. Correct. They took a position and they built a process around it and they have a mission that everyone there drives. And they take care of their people, like as not just hourly coffee you know barista workers they really do take care of their people or or that's the perception that we have um so i believe your brand is your inside culture when you put a stake in the ground and you take a position around that brand then you know your processes line up just like starbucks you walk in there that's the same every i mean i was just in california we sat at a starbucks and I'm in Ohio today, same Starbucks I went to this morning, same experience, practically same experience, right? Yep. So um, I, I might be talking out of two sides of my mouth, but I'm trying to explain that once you put a stake in the ground, like um, National Association of Addiction Treatment said, voice, vision, leadership, those are three positions. Those are, that, that is the essence of who they are now. People can say, you know, they're building a brand around that inside culture and they put a stake, they're putting a stake in the ground. Yeah, agreed. And just as a somewhat of an aside, but useful information, Starbucks is a fantastic employer for people in recovery. Um, They provide benefits very fast. They are very open to people in recovery coming to work at uh, Starbucks and they also give um, university benefits, right? You can get a degree through them for free. So we have a couple clients that are very ad, um, strong advocates of Starbucks just from an employment perspective. So if you guys are looking for employment for your um, awesome. alumni, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> so back on topic, another fear that I think comes up sometimes is like we used to see, if you look at even the majority of bigger providers, you never knew who they were, right? They might own seven facilities across the country, um, but you didn't necessarily know that unless you were part of this field. You know, if you looked at the facility, they each had their own name and not necessarily clear connections back to uh, a parent organization. And I think the fear was liability. There was always this fear that, okay, well, if this center gets caught in the news for something bad, then that'll taint the whole organization. What's your response to that fear? 
Uh, you know, I've been thinking about that um, because there isn't one right answer. So let me go. Let me answer the question of if a center has a bad, you know, something bad happens, right? Um, imagine, or I would hope that that center has um, a CEO or executive director that will handle that issue the right way. It means they instantly get with their leadership. They all get in alignment with what, what, you know, find out what's going on, be transparent with your staff, you know, get leadership all on board, go out and, t- and, and be prepared, get a, you know, public, you know, press release and to announce, you know, how you've handled it, what you're doing, you know, and, and tell people exactly what is going on. In the case of a crisis, you most or most I'm hoping hospitals do. They have the red binder that you go to, and you have a process you go through, and that's for staff. Leadership has something else. But in the case of when I got called earlier um, for uh, a treatment center that had a, an employee that was trafficking, and he was well-known employee. That CEO dealt with it like he did. He did everything right to his best ability um, in that particular situation. And I haven't heard anything. And I've looked it up to see if anything happened after that. It's like Southwest. When that, I was speaking at a conference in Southwest that had a a bad. Um, I think it was a female pilot had a woman get sucked out. You know, it got accident. Something happened. She was got out of a window, went out through a window. The pilot landed the plane. They Southwest handled that perfectly. There was no backlash. There was, you know, she the the pilot went out and talked to everyone on the plane after that incident, and that was you know handled so well that there was no backlash after that because that is their brand. That's how they're built and they have a protocol to handle crisis situations. So that being said, um, imagine uh, centers having that tool or that toolkit for their staff and for leadership to, you know, to follow, in, especially when you're under stress, right? So let's just say that you could handle it as an individual treatment center, right? And if you there's two sides to having like one Centerstone. I don't know if you know Centerstone, the brand. It's a, a massive behavioral health organization. Their their headquarters in, is in Tennessee. They were Centerstone, Illinois. Centerstone, you know, it, it, they attached different states to their organization, and they just went to one Centerstone. There's Centerstone everywhere, um, and so it depends on your goals of your facilities. I see both sides. I see some of them, you know, having individual brands, and that's okay. I mean, you know, if they have proper procedures that they follow to stay um, true to the brand and how they run, like, it, 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 it can work both ways. You could be one center stone or you could be, you know, an individual brands underneath it, and it could still work. And I'm hoping I'm answering the question right because there's not really one side one size fits all here. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think there's different factors that go into it. I think my main question often for providers is, 
if you're so worried about something going wrong, you know, is that really the right concern? Why, why are you so concerned right. about something going right. wrong? You know, what, what have you built internally from a culture, from a crisis standpoint? You know, and you're, I, I love Southwest. I fly Southwest all the time. And, you yeah. know, your comment there is, again, they have that brand, they have a reputation and I trust them. And I've had a bad experience on Southwest from time to time, but I forgive them because 95% of the time they've delivered, right? And I trust them to right. deliver right. and I see that as an exception, you know, and you look at the addiction treatment space, I think we've seen similar. If I've never heard of your facility before and all I hear is a bad news story, well, that's a problem. But, you know, I, well, there was a big brand. Yeah, I guess I won't mention names on because it, it was a bad story, but they had an issue with the staff member, right? And not a bleep about it because it was a very well-trusted, very well-known um, facility that gave quality care. So people were like, well, you know, they did the right thing. Bad stuff happens from time to time, but we trust these guys, and so it's okay. Because, listen, my business has had issues, right? We all have issues. We can't get – plus, if we're employing – humans yeah i mean yeah we i mean it's this. just impossible right <laughs> right we can do everything we want to screen and profile and onboard and build you know and train but they're human beings and they're going to make mistakes and we're going to make mistakes as business owners how we respond what kind of support and tools we have to give people to work with when there is a crisis or a situation um i, I mean it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. You know, there's always going to be mistakes. We're working with people, you know, and people at different levels. And so you just have to have processes in place. You have to, you know, help people through and learn from their mistakes. That just makes your organization better. So something else I wanted to look at, just because this is always a soapbox I'm on, but, you know, a lot of centers are still buying calls, blows me away, um, but they're buying calls from random, like, third-party lead gen call centers. What's your take on that? not I can't really respond I'm not an expert we do uh, for our behavioral health we have a, a, a big client that has mental health clinics all over the country and we have a call center but we don't buy calls you know what I mean it's I can't really respond it feels unethical it feels it feels like I, I just can't imagine buying calls for a hospital where and it just I've been in healthcare from on the top side with hospitals and I've done, you know, like it, it just feels, it just feels really like click. I don't know, clickbait. I don't trickery. I don't know. It is kind of right. I mean, that's one of the reasons I hate it, but I think the question or maybe your perspective that I'm looking for is it's unbranded, right? So when they do this call gen, these call buys, there's no brand there. They're calling some random website that then gets transferred over to a facility. You know, so when you look at that from that unbranded perspective, you know, what, what comments do you have there in terms of maybe effectiveness or just your overall opinion? Unbranded content is, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say anything good. I think. <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> I don't, I'm trying, I'm trying to be positive and I'm trying not to be so negative because our industry, the addiction treatment industry gets beat up because think a lot many many of the centers have really good intentions and I honestly have made mistakes in aligning with different organizations that I didn't know weren't legitimate or people that I should be around um, just because I didn't know but those days are over I should know now so 
unbranded content is it feels like it's preying on people in desperate you know what i mean just put your brand on it tell the person that's viewing why they should consider you what you stand for and how you're going to help them period i mean i don't understand why it's difficult right yeah I think it's one of those things where, you know, addiction treatment's a lot of copycat. You know, I've said this before where people see like a big facility doing it and they just assume it's working. And so they copy it because they think it's going to work for them. And the fascinating part is it doesn't. I mean, we've examined unbranded versus branded content all the time. The facilities that have or even are still running unbranded content are generally the least successful. And people are often shocked to hear that, but it doesn't work. You know, the call buys don't work. Like if, if you talk to those people that run those call centers, they'll tell you that they almost never have repeat clients ever. They're just constantly bouncing from facility to facility, getting new clients because nobody stays with them because it's not effective. Like that's why your work that you do with Design Room is so important because brand drives your reputation, which grows your business, not, you know, the number of random calls you can get from someone who don't know you know, doesn't know who they're talking to. The the people that it's just, it, they're not going to be attracted to a firm like ours if they're doing unbranded content. It's not a fit, right? So unbranded content or even paying for calls or whatever. I don't even, I went to see one of those call centers. Oh, I yeah. wanted to tour one <laughs> sure. to understand it, to see what it was like. And it was like, I felt like, um I felt like it was in a, um, a gambling situation. It was weird. <laughs> that doesn't sound good. I don't know if you could just go online, but it didn't feel right to me. So yeah, I was just talking to someone. They were with a call center up in the Northeast, you know. And this call center, I, I don't know them. I don't know their name, but their whole perspective was, well, you know what you have to do now is you have to get people. You have to trick them into thinking they're calling a different facility. And then you have to be really, really good on the phone to convince them that your facility is better. And that's the way to do marketing now. It's the only way that works. And that's the entire mentality of the call centers, right? Is It's like, how can we kind of bait and switch people to get into our center, which is just a horrible way to run healthcare, you know? So I think from the beginning, it's always been flawed. I want to correct something I said earlier about our client that has mental health organizations. They don't have a call center. They have... Google phone numbers that go to that fa- that facility that we're targeting, um, so that it can you know their admissions folks can take those calls. They don't go because the thing about this is this audience is it has to be personal, or they're not going to even those admissions people are, are trained to take those calls for that community in that geography, right? Because that's how special it is. So I'm not even working with a call center in behavioral health or in addiction treatment. They're going into admissions offices for the organization that we're working with. Yeah, good correction. I mean, most large facilities are going to have a call center. You, you have to. It's the only way we're going to deal with a large volume of calls. You have to have a call center. Um, the distinction, you know, is obviously between having a third-party call center that has no training, no connection to your facility, that just aggregates leads and transfers them over to you for a paid amount. Like, that's a very, very different situation. This is not, this is call center. This is not my expertise. So I am completely transparent when I say that with my client and we get in a person that is <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. it's right. uh, i'll brand it i'll give them the words i'll you know help 
train the com you know but it's not I'm not an operational expert in that capacity yeah yeah I, I think the final comment I would make there is I mean we've seen facilities that we've worked with where we've gone in and, and killed all their unbranded content right you know because they're trying to turn things around um, and we've literally cut their call volume in half doing that at the same time we've grown their admissions so right. all that unbranded content is just a waste of time, waste of resources. You have to have twice as many staff to answer calls that aren't converting. Whereas you cut it down and then you get good content, good branded calls, people trust you more. You don't need as many staff. They're gonna convert at a higher percentage. You know, So there's a tremendous business value um, to branded content. And we've just seen it, this is probably our fourth facility where we've seen that happen. Um, yeah, I mean, literally one drop from 20,000 calls a month to 10,000 calls a month and increase your administration percentage just by moving to all branded content. So really important, I think, for people to understand. Um, kind of getting back to branding in general. So we've talked about this a little bit, but you know, I always look at branding as kind of creating this competitive advantage. You know, there's a moat around your business that is your brand. You're, someone can't just come in and take over Starbucks, right? Like it's just, it'd be very, very hard to do. So from your perspective, you know, do you have case studies or examples you could share? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to challenge you on the moat concept just for a sec, okay? So I see um if a like an organization is branded that it's not a moat around Starbucks. They're not, you know, trying to protect themselves or keep the outside world from coming in. I view um, the brand is shining a light on your organization and inviting the right people in because you are communicating and articulating and have impact around your key differentiator and what you stand for and what makes you different in the market. And it just, it's inviting. It invites your clients and invites your partners and invites your potential, your new staff in. It invites, you know, you know, anything you're looking to attract that's on strategy. Yeah, I agree. You know, we're just looking at it from different perspectives, I think. From a marketing perspective, absolutely. From a business perspective, I look at it as a durable competitive advantage, right? Your brand, your reputation is an asset. Even in a, a sale, for example, you have your goodwill, your intangibles that are add value to that business. People can't just come in and build a Starbucks because your brand is so strong. It'd be very hard to kind of take over that mindshare, per se. But yeah, absolutely. From a marketing perspective, it does. It shines a light. It attracts the right people from talent. It attracts the right customers. I absolutely agree. Because really, <coughs> is, there, sorry, is there competition in the space? There's so many people we can help and treat. We sh you know, in my kind of rose color, with my rose color, but color glasses on, is that it's um, everyone ha could have their specialty and have their differentiator and we could take care of so many more people just stand for it do it own it be it and share and share lead, you know share information tell you know it, it, just help people and get them in the right place to get them in the right place because of what your brand is and what you stand for in the addiction treatment space yeah, I completely agree. You know, I you know shout out to like Zach Snitzer and his team over there at Maryland Recovery Center. 
um, they do a fantastic job of partnering, right? They find out what they're good at, they find out what their partners are good at, and then they work together um, with those organizations to deliver the best patient care. And they know when they should be referring and when they should be bringing people in. And so it's a great relationship. It's a great partnership rather than competition, right? Right. This is, it's, I don't see it that way, not in this particular area. So when you're talking about brand, what are some key elements? You know, what are maybe the top three or top five things you look at when you first start kind of going through that assessment with clients? If I'm, if you're asking me key elements in branding, you know, I've said it several times in this conversation. What's your value? What's your vision? What's your purpose? Why did you go into this business? Or what motivated your founder? Or why did you join this company? I mean, you can ask the staff. Um, what does success look like for you, for your patients, for your clients, the people that you serve, the people that you partner with, the people that support you? What's your board saying? And some basic, you know, you know, when we look at key elements is where are you located? I mean, the basics, right? Where are you located? Who's your staff? What What is your staff built up? Do you have medical, a big clinical team? Um, and what kind of services? That's like underneath everything. And honestly, key elements in branding, what do you want to be known for at the end of the day? What do you want to be known for? And what does success look like around that? So then on the reverse side, you know, probably sort of obvious, but any common mistakes that you see or something that really stands out to you that you've seen pretty often when you start working with a new client? So it's hard, right? Everyone's hair is on fire. They're trying to, you know, even all the folks that we talk to in the organizations, everyone is super busy trying to do their job. So it's not a mistake. It's just um, time. They don't have the time to look at everything and talk to their clients and really look at what's going on, you know, in their with their leadership team, with their clinicians, you know, with their um, managers, with the people that are doing outreach or it. They don't have time. So it come, it's not a mistake. It's just that how do you take the time to look at all of that information and see what is what the patterns and the trends are in that data. Look at the, lay all of our data and all of our analytics on top of all that too. Don't forget about that. That is part of this positioning is who's coming to your website? What are they looking at? You know, it's all of that is as well part of this, but leaders and managers in, in organizations don't have the time to look at all this information and assess what it means to your organization, and then make some decisions around that to grow. Because we're about growth in the right area for the right reason on the right differentiator. Yeah, I love that because, you know, even even for my own company, right, you know, I'll bring in consultants just because I don't have time, right? I don't have time to do it. <laughs> and at the Correct. end of the day, they're going to do it twice as fast and twice as good as I am, right? I mean, I'm not an expert in whatever I'm hiring them for. Like, that's why I'm hiring them. So I think, you know, Design Room, you, you guys are exactly the same. Most people are not experts on branding. That's why they need someone like you. Not that anyone's doing anything wrong. It's just, it's like work added on your day that you don't have the time even if you're like some of the ceos we work with they love marketing <laughs> they do yeah. they just they get geeked at the processes some of them don't but some of them really when they because we force them to take time right 
So when they're, you know, and some of them love it. It's like a refresher, just um, a release from the day-to-day. So giving them a little bit of the time to work on this, but doing all the heavy lifting for them, they're going to help us with decisions. Like if we recommend something that's way out there, like you should change the name of your organization, right? That's a huge recommendation. But the CEO has to decide if they're going to do that or not. And we're, we don't say that often, but if we do, we have a bunch of reasons why, right? Or tweak the name of your organization. So th- they get to be part of that process without doing the heavy lifting, without trying to build the case for the board. You know, we do all that work. And it, it provides them with, like, a structure to grow um, without having to bring in or having to have their marketing team work on that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So a little bit of a more specific question, and there's definitely no one answer here, obviously, but... You know, let's say that you're an organization and you just went through an acquisition or you're looking at a name change. You know, what what do they need to look at? What's the value in keeping the old name versus transitioning to a new? What what are you considering? What goes through your head when you analyze that process? So we do. I don't know how. I, if you would have asked me 10 years ago that we were going to do naming, I would have said no way, never. But we have done a lot of naming projects or um, for organizations. Um, and what we find is we need to know like hard goals, like what is the goal here? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to position to sell? Are you trying to position to grow? Are you, you know, so the name is huge, huge, huge impact on the whole entire organization. That means every sign on every building has to be changed. Every email address has to be changed every business card every piece of collateral everything i know what we're asking people to do when we suggest a name change and i apologize in advance (laughs) (laughs) because our work is having really hard conversations with ceos and the leadership teams like you, you could do this this is hard this is harder or you can do this and we've already asked them tough questions even you know have them so it's not an easy thing to answer you know we can tweak a name and it can have a lift and it can position you differently we don't have to change a name depends on the goal right so uh it it just it's not i'm not going to be able to answer that question yes or no definitively depends on your goals kind of your aspirational goals and your today goals what would be two goals that maybe you've seen that you would recommend a name change for? So if you had something really corrupt go on in your organization, I would recommend a name change. And if you were trying to grow and you have, you have much more, many more services than how your original name is positioned or your name is of the organization. So one is if something bad happened in the organization, we would take a really hard look at it. The second one is if you are looking to position for acquisition or because you are offering more services um, to your, to your audience, to your clients. You mentioned some of the data that you, a couple times throughout the conversation. And so it's not like you're just coming in and doing a, a brand based around, you know, the feelings that people have, though that's important. Correct. You know, you look at the data, and I think that's extremely important. So 
you mentioned, for example, like Google Analytics and the website. Are there other areas that you look to find that strategic demographic data for you know where your clients are coming from? So we look at if they whatever they give us, we'll read it. If they've done any research on their own, we'll read it. Um, we will do some audience audit if we have to. We'll do our own sort of research on audience, but we will, which can be um, totally data driven. Uh, through surveys, and then we will also look at email. Um, typically, in this space, uh, shoot, how, how do I get to email? Uh, we look at if they email, who they email to, and what they're saying in there, and who's clicking on what. Um, but with the privacy laws, it's not a big. I'm not looking at a lot of. Um, I'm not looking at a lot of email unless it's an alum category, which is pretty, it's pretty interesting. Who goes to alum events? So there's a lot of data in different pockets of the business in addiction treatment, but you get a lot from Google Analytics. Yeah, yeah, Google Analytics. I mean, even the AdWords and the Facebook campaigns and stuff, I've seen just fantastic data, you know. Question for you, just kind of curious, like when we go into facilities, you know, this idea of having a central culture or uh, particular brand differentiators, like we see it pop up pretty quickly from staff and from patients and alumni. You know, it's interesting. It might not be actually codified anywhere. No one's actually necessarily communicating it, but just organically, there seems to be alignment between staff and patients. So I'm just curious if you've had that experience as well. Sure. Yep. We've built brands from that, honestly, without a lot of data. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if it's there, if the staff is at, at answering the questions the same as the administrators, the same as the clinical staff, the same as the board, it's like gold. It's pure gold. So, yeah, it happens. Yeah, it's, it's a lot really, easier to work with, right? <laughs> yeah, it gives me goosebumps, actually. I got goosebumps right now. Yeah. So we covered a lot of ground today, Kelly. Any final thoughts or any final comments you kind of wanted to make on this topic? The work of doing a rebrand or a brand, taking the time to position your current brand for an aspirational goal, um, it's uh, it's hard to say how much value your organization gets out of it until you go through the process or you hear a colleague share the process with them. And honestly, the process is hard. So it's not easy to get from you know, at point A to point B sometimes, but the firm that is going to work with you and really ask the tough questions and get down and dirty and figure out what really makes you different, it's going to make so much, it's, gonna, it's just going to add so much value and depth and rich, just even, even content, go to branded content, rich content to the conversation. Um, it's just, I believe in it wholeheartedly and I'm, um, preach it till I'm blue in the face. So I'm excited for anyone to consider it. And so if someone wants to contact you, uh, what's the best way to do that? So uh, you can uh, reach me at 216-410-1549. That's my personal cell. Our office number is 216-241-2020. Call anytime. Our email is designroom.com. Dot com, just like it sounds, designroom.com. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Kelly. I really appreciate it. And to all of our audience out there, um, as always, this is the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Jaworski, CEO of Circle Social, and we look forward to connecting with you next time.